good morning, church. You are here because God loves you. And you made the choice to be here this morning. And I want to pick up um, right where I left off last week. And you'll notice when you come in here, that lately there have been those little cards all, on all the chairs, okay? Here's the deal, church. Over and over, you're going to see me more and more encouraging our church family and challenging us to be willing to take, when you see invite cards, to be willing to invite people in your lives to church. Jesus left, and he left us with the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world and, 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 and preach the gospel is what he said. For you and I, the easy way to do that, and, and by the way, he was very intentional about that. He, he specifically talks to us and said, I want you to do this. He didn't just say this hoping we might or, or maybe if we were thinking about it or maybe if we came across just the right situation where there was somebody that we really liked. and we, No, he, he, he challenges us to do that. And so you and I have the opportunity of inviting someone to church, and, and more and more, you are going to hear me just share that with our church family, because I believe we need to be reminded of that. See, here's the reality. We are on this planet for probably 70, 80 years, some of us less than that, some of us even more than that, and the reality is we're... 100% of everyone born dies. And so we're going to leave this planet some, at some point. And, and when we leave this planet, the question is, are, 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 there's, there are two directions. And one of them is in heaven with our heavenly Father, and the other one, well, we all know where that is. And God leaves it in our hands to share that truth with people. We're here for this short window of time, and eternity will go on forever. James, do you really believe? Yeah, I do, because that's what my Bible says, and because my Bible says it, I believe it, and so this opportunity is here for us to invite our friends, invite our family, invite the people in our lives to come and, uh, and spend Sunday morning here with us as we learn the things that God has for us as, as you leave, take this with you, and watch how God brings someone in your life this week to share it to, and someone that you can invite. In America today, 40% of our homes, 40% of the homes in America, there is no dad. In some ethnic groups, that percentage is as high as 75%. It's a big deal. This is the first generation in history that is trying to build a civilization without really a mommy and a daddy in the house. Our culture is changing. The world around us is changing. And God knew that it would. And I'm, I'm, I'm digging into to this study. As a matter of fact, there's another study. If, if you feel like that leaves you a little bit hopeless, maybe you're a single mom and you're going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? There's another study that, that says this, that the, 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 uh, the determining factor in whether or not a child makes it. 
And whether or not a child grows up successful, and we'll talk about that even more this morning, whether or not is determined specifically by, is there the presence of someone in their life, a caring adult in their life? It doesn't even have to be a father or a mother. Some of us are grandparents. Grandparents are raising your grandchildren because your children and their spouse is out of the, out of the parenting picture. The thing that determines whether or not that child will make it is if there is a caring adult in their life. And we're looking at five principles that, that, that we as moms and dads and caring adults can use in terms of shaping our kids. Now, if you don't give a hoot about kids, don't have any kids in your life, here's the truth of the matter. You can use these five principles with the people around you in your life. They not only work with children, but they work also in our relationships. So it's, it's, it's another, and also let me mention this. I looked at another study. A police officer in California said that in all of the young men that he ever arrested, he never arrested, in 25 years of service, never arrested a young man who had a dad in his life. It is so important as dads to stay in, some of us even, even we're, we're in broken families, for, to have a dad in our kid's life. God has designed us for this process. Proverbs 24 says, it takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes understanding to make it strong. How do we do that? Where do, where do you get the knowledge from that? You get it from God's word. That's where you get it. The Bible is a manual for, it's a manual for life. It's a manual for parenting. It's, it's a manual for family. It's a, it's a manual for relationships. It's a manual for our job and our business. You want to understand how, how, to, how to manipulate those waters, we learn it from God's word. His principles over and over are so Clear, And I want to talk about, I want to continue talking about these, these five principles. Last week, I started out with the first two. Principles in your life, in my life, biblical principles for shaping the lives of our kids. And I gave you two of them last week. I'm not going to really spend any time. The first one was accept our kids' uniqueness. Accept the uniqueness that God, every one of us is created as an individual. He gave every one of us a fingerprint. He gave us an eye print. Our voice, if it's tracked, it has a print. We are all, we all have our own DNA in every area of our lives. Identical twins have thousands of, they're different in thousands of ways. So we're all unique. The first one is accept their uniqueness. The second one was affirm their values. This is all from last week. Affirm their values. And if you didn't hear it, I want you to get on our website, listen to the podcast, because last week was just a, such a critical week for these first two principles. Today, I want to dive right into the third, and that's trust them with responsibility. Trust your kids with responsibility and do it in an increasing manner. As they grow in it, go ahead and trust them with even more. Let's grow this area of responsibility in our kids. It's a big deal. In your life, somebody trusts you. Some, somebody trusts you in different areas, and, 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 and you're allowed to be responsible for that. Somebody believes in you. Let's believe in our kids. 
it's easier sometimes to go the other direction. That, that word responsible, response-able. You, you cannot give a response unless somebody gives you the opportunity to be able to respond. And, and we want to grow this in our kids. We've got to give them an opportunity. You can sit down and, and, and read a book on leadership and, and do a whole, read a whole article in a magazine about leadership, but that doesn't make you a leader. You become a leader by leading. Let's give our kids the opportunity. And Jesus gives us three examples in a passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 16. Look what he says. He says, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. Starts out with a little, and then we grow it, and it becomes a lot. Trust them with small things. Okay, Johnny, you can, you can play with your toys. Now, here's the deal, Johnny. When you're done playing with your toys, or, or when mommy or daddy asks you, you need to take those toys and put them back where they belong. And, and when Johnny gets good at that, then we take things to another level. See, little by little, we take opportunities in our kids' lives, and we begin to lead them through a process. Little things. And it begins with, it, it grows to time with possession. It grows over time with possessions and with money. And we do this with our kids. See, when our kids were little, uh, we, we would give them a little bit of money if they did, they did something. Now, whatever you do, you can do it loud, you can do it. We took the opportunity to, to early on shape their thinking that money was something that you got from doing work, from doing something. And so as they got their money, we, we, we were able to find this little sucker. See, look at that, it's paying back already. We, I, I, I think... I think piggy banks should be smashed and mommy and daddy should get all the money, okay? And they need to be replaced with this. We found these early on. And this is not just a bank. It's a three-compartment bank. And the, over here is the bank. This is the store. And this is the church. So when our kids did something, we took that opportunity. Look, we didn't have to do this. Everything in their life was provided by us. We bought them everything they needed. We bought their food, their clothes. We bought everything for them. They, we didn't need to do this, but we took the opportunity to teach our kids. When you get a dollar, and we'd explain Scripture to them, 10 cents goes in the church, and 10 cents goes in the bank, and you can spend the other 80%. Now, we... To, did variables on that too because you can save at an accelerated rate. You can be generous and give more. And, and so there, there are all, all sorts. And interestingly enough, one of the things that we noticed with our kids is they were pretty comfortable on a regular basis actually putting more than 10% in the church. And sometimes even in just, just not saving 10%, but even saving more than 10% if they had a goal or a reason. Let's take the opportunities at a young age and begin to shape our kids and begin to grow our kids. Little things over time. And look, look what he goes on to say. Jesus continues in this passage. If you cannot be trusted with things that belong to someone else, who will give you things of your own? Our kids. See, they were using all the stuff that we loaned them. There was going to come a point in life, and, and, and for our kids, it largely already has, where, where 
they're not, because they were good stewards of what was loaned them, they now begin to own things of their own. You know what God's saying here? Jesus is saying that God is watching how we handle our money. Do we recognize that everything that we have really is a gift from him? He planted us in a world that he refers to in Scripture often as a sowing and a reaping. You plant seeds and you water it and take care of it, and you will reap a crop. And we live in a sowing and a reaping world, not just in the area of finances, in all the areas of our lives, in our relationships, in our marriage, with our kids. It's the world that we live in. They, they, don't, they don't need anything. They need us to be teaching them because there are two qualities missing in our culture. And, and, and I, I want you to fill these in. There's the two qualities that are missing. The first one is responsibility. Responsibility. Great parents and great leaders and great bosses know that people respond to responsibility. And the proper way to respond to responsibility is to move forward into it and accept it and respond in a positive way. Let's give our kids opportunities. Let's give them the, even if they do it wrong, even if they mess something up, let's give them the opportunity. If you treat people like babies, you're going to be changing diapers for the rest of your life. You've got to give away, we've got, to, we've got to grow our kids. You know, even on our staff, I, I don't mind it if our staff members make mistakes because we all make mistakes. Matter of fact, if they're not making mistakes, they're probably not doing much. Now, if they make the same mistakes over and over again, they might be looking for a job somewhere else. But, but we learn from our, look, look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 5 says, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Let's let our kids grow and mature in that. One of the most important skills in life is to be responsible. You, you know the people in your lives. You know the people in your lives who are, you would point to and say, now they're responsible. Or that one is irresponsible. I wouldn't trust my dog to that, that one. And, and, and we, we recognize this. And yet, so often as moms and dads, we, we kind of have this fear. We want to we keep our kids from failing. We want to protect our kids. It's so, so often, it's, it's kind of rooted in pride. We, we don't want our kids to fail. Let them fail. How many stupid decisions did you and I make in high school? And here we are. Failure is not final. Learning from failure is a good thing. We need to give our kids that opportunity. Everybody fails. They, they did a survey with parents, and, and the, the question, the key question was, if you were to go back, what would you do different? And the, the, the answer that got the greatest response, it was written in different ways, but for the most part, this response was, was what most of the parents said. They said, I would do less for my kids, and I would teach them to do more for themselves. We want our kids to grow up and mature. 
We, we, we want them to go down and be successful in life. Responsibility is a big deal. The other thing that I think is missing is resilience. Resilience. The, the, the ability to go through life and, and not hit an obstacle and quit. Not, not just walk away because that's the comfortable thing to do. And studies show that overprotective parents produce insecure kids. So let's not be overprotective parents. Let's give our kids responsibility. Let's let them begin to move. Now, you don't take your hands off and walk away because then you could end up with a mess. But let's, let's gradually give them more and more responsibility. And yet we, we kind of, we don't want them to fail because we don't want them to feel bad. And the reality is that's life. That you're going to feel bad at times in life. You're going to fail in life. Failure is never final. It, you, you, you get back up and you go on. Look what Proverbs 24 says. Even good people fall seven times but they always get back up. Resilience. Number four, the fourth biblical habit is correct without condemning. Let's correct our kids, but let's do it without condemning them. And Probably most of us as parents in here would say, you know what, I can think of times I have done that wrong, and I certainly am in that camp. I probably have done this wrong more than I have done it right. But let's correct our kids. Look, we all need correction. We all make mistakes. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure you know this or not, but we're all sinners. We screw up all the time. Let's correct our kids. And there's, 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 you see, the reality is Jesus paid on the cross. He paid the price for sin. He, he took all punishment on himself. He took it all on himself. Let, let, me, let, me make, let me make another statement here. This, this is going to fly in the face of church that some of you guys grew up in. It, it, goes, it goes totally contrary to some of your thinking about God. God never punishes. Never. He never punishes. We're his children. We're his family. He never punished all the punishment that was ever to be Jesus took on the cross. Your sins and my sins in the past, present, and in the future were all nailed to the cross. We took communion this morning because of Christ's blood and him being nailed to the cross. All of our sins are paid for. Punishment is over with, with God. He doesn't punish us. I want you to write this in your note. Punishment looks at the past. It looks at the past. Discipline, discipline looks to the future. It's correction. When, when a captain is piloting a ship and, he, and he's sailing across the ocean, he's got a destination he's going to, and if he gets off course, what he's got to do is correct that so he ends up at his destination. If we are off course, we are going to end up at a different destination than we intend to get to. But correction brings us back 
right in line in the course, and, and it'll land us exactly where we were headed. As parents, let's, let's not punish for the past. Let's make sure that our mindset is correcting for the future. This whole discipline thing. There are so-called experts in our culture that tell us, don't, don't discipline in your families. You, you don't, just don't do that. Well, look, look what Proverbs says. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you'll be prompt to discipline them. Little Freddie, Freddie, if you keep doing that, here, here's what's going to happen. And help Freddie understand that, that if he keeps doing what he's doing, it's not going to be good. But get Freddie to understand what good is and how to get there. And, and what correction is necessary to get there. Because what we want is we, not, we want our kids to be mature. We want them to be on the right path. We, we want our kids to become successful. Look at Proverbs 19. Discipline your children while they are young enough. What the heck does, when is young enough? Young enough means while they are still teachable. And the best way you and I can go through life is to go through a lifelong position of remaining teachable. Even as adults, let's remain teachable. Discipline your children while they're young enough to learn. If you don't, this is a big deal. And, and you're going to really understand this later in my message. If you don't, you're helping them destroy themselves. And it's, it's even bigger than that. But, but we, 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 some of us, we, we let our kids do what they want to do. And if they don't want to work, we don't make them work. You know, the reality is most of the work done in the world today gets done by people who don't want to do it. How about that? Most of the work done in the world today gets done by people who don't want to do it. What if all the people Monday morning, all the people worldwide got up on Monday morning and the people who really didn't feel like going to work didn't go? How much different would happen around the world on Monday morning? Because so much happens because this whole level of responsibility is laid into people's lives. And we're moving through this process of maturing and growing and becoming what, what God has for us to be. And so what is it we're responsible? If, if, if all the people who just wanted to stay in bed on Monday morning stayed in bed, you can't even imagine how, the diff how different the world would be for just one day. I don't, I don't want to get up. My cousin used to tell a story over and over again. It was about a mom and her son. And she said, Freddie, get up. You got to go to church this morning. Mom, I don't want to go to church this morning. Five minutes later, come on, get up. You got to go to church this morning. I don't want to go to church this morning. Fifteen minutes later, you got to get up. Half an hour later, it, you have got to get up and go to church. Why do I have to go to church this morning? Because you're the pastor. You have to go to church. The next thing is never correct your kids in anger. Let's See, when we correct our kids in anger, 
We overcorrect. We overreact and we overcorrect. And it's a whole other arena. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Instead, bring them up with the loving discipline that God approves. And suggestions and godly advice. Because anger produces anger. You, you get angry, and then sooner or later, they get angry, and then, then, then we're at this temperature and fervor that is, is virtually only destructive. And when we get angry and we're correcting our kids, and you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember the temper. They're going to remember the anger. And the reality is we're doing damage to the relationship. Never in anger. Look what Ephesians 4 says. Don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up. Harmful words produce harmful memories. We, we, we're building it into the lives. Some, some of us grew up with a phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. How many of you grew up hearing that? Yeah, we, we, we grew up. It is there's an element of truth to it, but it is absolutely not true. How, how, much has, how much damage has been done to people because somebody said something negative about them? And, and that seed planted in their thought process. And, and over time, there, there have been moments here and moments there where they thought that because they heard that because of the feelings of this situation that they were in. And some kids who grow up in a home where they're told they're stupid or you'll never amount to anything. And words have an unbelievable ability to do a huge amount of damage. People are devastated by words. He says, don't do that. Only words that are helpful, the kind that build up. The way you and I relate to our children. Last week, we talked about accepting and affirming them. And now here today, trusting them and correcting them. The Bible has a unique way of dealing with that at a whole other level. See, over and over in Scripture, God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you'll listen to me and do this, and then I will do this. And it is amazing, all through Scripture, he does that. And there are so many different specific things that he's talking about that he says, even to the third and fourth generation. You're thinking as a dad and my kids, as a mom and my kids, maybe you're a grandparent or you're, you're raising some, a child that isn't even yours. You're thinking of you and that kid. And God is saying, no, it's not that simple. That is true. But that is true even to the third and fourth generation. It is not just about us. It is about the legacy that we leave. There's a five-generation rule, and there have been studies, so many studies done about this five-generation rule over and over again. There's one that I looked at that, that, that I just had unbelievable interest in, in, this morning. I want to share it with you. 
See, this five-generation rule, there was a study done of two men back in the 1700s. This is right before we became a nation. It was just the forming of our nation in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards was one person they looked at, and Max Jukes was the other person that this study looked at. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. He was an educator. He was a sharp guy. He was one of the founders of Yale University. Really sharp guy. Out of of all the things that he accomplished, one of the things that I feel like stuck out the most is how he and his wife, 11 kids, he and his wife Sarah raised these 11 kids using these five principles that we talked about over the last two weeks. Always, as a dad, as much as he had going on in his life, he always was there for his kids. He accepted them. He affirmed them. He trusted them. He corrected them. Corrected them without condemnation. He raised his family on biblical principles. And this study looks at the four generations that come behind Jonathan Edwards. Are you ready for this? In that four generation, the completion of a five generation span, there was a United States vice president, there were three senators, there were three governors, there were three mayors, there were 13 college professors, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 people in all held public office. There were 100 lawyers, 62 physicians, 74 Army and Naval officers, 100 pastors, ministers, and theological seminary uh, professors. See? Not one lawbreaker. Not one Lawbreaker. Let's talk about Max Jukes. Max Jukes, on the other hand, he didn't take parenting seriously. As a matter of fact, he let his kids do whatever they wanted to do. He was a harsh man. He was often angry, and, and, and he was an alcoholic. He did not follow biblical principles. As a matter of fact, when he disciplined, he usually did it in anger. And we look at the four generations that followed him in his family tree, seven murderers, 60 thieves, 128 prostitutes, 140 convicted felons. Out of this whole group of people, 280 of them were indigent. 440 of them had their lives wrecked by alcohol. 300 of them died prematurely. And 67 of them contracted syphilis. And it's estimated that his descendants in his day cost the state $1.3 million. Do you see the big difference? Do you understand what raising our kids with biblical principles can do. And by abandoning that, where we end up. 
It's such a big deal. Point number five in your notes is love them fiercely. Let's love our kids fiercely. And let's do it unconditionally. How do you do that? You forgive them. You got to forgive them. The secret of a great marriage is the union of two people who are willing to constantly forgive. That's how you have a great marriage. You got to learn to forgive. Look at Ephesians 4. Be kind and loving to each other. How do you do that? By forgiving. That's the only way to make this happen. By forgiving each other just as God forgave you in Christ. So on our kids, we're going to love them fiercely, which also means you never give up on them, no matter what. Sometimes love's got to be tough, but you never give up. You never, ever, 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 ever give up. Do you know why? Because Christ never, ever, ever gave up on us. And no matter where we end up, how far we, far we sink, no, no matter how bad things get, he never gave up on us. And so what do we do? We learn from that. And on our kids, we never give up, no matter what happens. 1 Corinthians 13, love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, and no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. Quick question. Who in your life do you need to give a second chance to? Who? Who, who is the Holy Spirit just slipping right up to the forefront of your thinking? Who do you need to give a second chance to? Isaiah 54, the mountains and the hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. Guys, our human love wears out. It just does. It, it, it wears out. Out. It has its limit. We, we reach the That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. We all know that. But God gives us a whole different perspective. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Reverence for God gives man a deep strength. Reverence for God. Recognizing who God is. How much he loves us. How much he pours his grace and love into our lives. Recognizing that gives us a deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. As, as followers of Christ, we live our lives knowing that we have a, a place of security and refuge in Christ. The entire world could collapse. Nobody can take that away from us. Moms and dads, are our homes a place of refuge and security for our kids? And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes things may be so bad that you can't allow your child back into your house. There are times that only the police can. There are all kinds of situations that we are marching our way through in life. But we never give up. And we always love, and we always expect and want and pursue the best in the lives of our children. His children have a place of refuge 
and security. Let me close with one quick, simple thought. Being a good parent, really the reality is we can only become a good parent if we are a godly parent. When we are godly parents, we are simply doing the things that Jesus talked about. And we're not only doing it in our relationship with him, we're doing it in our relationship with our kids. And I've got to tell you, I stand here right with you guys out of these five principles. I, I, I can look through our kids and say, I messed up on this one. I messed up on that one. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. We're not going to get it all right. But if you and I as moms and dads will take these five principles. Oh, let, let, me, let me just say this. Not take these five principles that we talked about for two weeks and, and take our notes and just stick them in a Bible and get home and put them somewhere and never think about them again. But if we will take these five principles and we will intentionally begin to apply them in our lives with our kids, the legacy will be like Jonathan Edwards' legacy and it will not be like Max's legacy. Let's stand together. Let me pray with you. Lord, there are times in our lives that parenting is the heaviest burden on us. There are difficult times in parenting. There, there are times that we almost want to give up. But Lord, in our church family, so many of us are in different situations, and some, some of us have, have been through a large part of this process, and, and we're living in the benefit of our children following you and, and allowing your purpose and plan in their lives. And there, some of us are still struggling in that with different ages of some of our kids. And Lord, I would lift our, our family up to you, our church family, and ask for your help, ask for your grace to be poured into our lives knowing that some situations are unbelievably difficult, but your grace is available and at work. And Lord, as we intentionally open your word, look square in the faces of our kids and begin to lead them as the parents that you've called us to be and be good stewards of the children, that, the, the gifts that you have blessed us with. Lord, help us as moms and dads to be faithful to you, to be faithful to our relationship with you. Understanding then that will make this process with our kids so much easier to teach. God, I ask you to do that in our lives. Even as we leave here this morning, may we just begin to apply even more of this in raising our kids so that our kids can be on that path with a very clear destination, your plan, and your purpose for their lives. Do it, we ask, in your precious and holy name. And everyone said, amen.